1: And we're back with an all new episode of Keep It I'm Ira Madison III
0: I'm Louis Fertel We're recording this on the longest day of the year if I'm not mistaken Which I feel like I always need to commemorate in some way Like go out and hang out outside and enjoy the moment Did I mention that I find summer stressful? Like I need to enjoy it immediately or I'm failing anyway, Girl, you don't like fall
1: okay. Summer <laughs> stresses you out right. Which season is for you? Summer is for me, though it's just a handful. Okay. All right. My season is the one of love.
0: Okay. Oh, uh, that would be
1: 67, Summer of Love. Yes. Uh, well, I'm talking about my 525,600 minutes. Oh,
0: I see. Uh, yeah. Wait, that's a year,
1: but all right. <laughs> a, uh, year, uh, a year in the life is an entire season <laughs> of love, Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that's right. Yes.
1: <laughs> which which rent character are you
0: mostly, would you say?
1: Um that's an interesting question. You know, whatever whatever gays are around asking, who are you? No one ever asks like which rent character are you? You know,
0: right? And they are disparate entities. I mean, like it's—I mean—that's sort of the the strength of the musical is that you do get really distinct characters on it. Mm-hmm. I do feel that Mimi is the most annoying, so I feel like as somebody who spouts hot takes for a living, I would have to say Mimi. But,
1: <laughs> um, you know, I am constantly looking for a bag on the floor. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um. Speaking in third person, they call me Mimi. Um. <laughs> I don't know. I'd, I'd probably end up being like um, Mark or so, no. I wouldn't be Mark. You know what? I think I'm. I think I'm more Roger. Probably like an an angry artist. I would yell at people to get out of my home.
0: Okay, <laughs> and you find that to be his signature thing. Okay, great. <laughs> he's always like,
1: "Get out."
0: <laughs> Who are Man, you? What a movie! What a movie that nobody has watched in 17 years i remember that came out in college we were all (laughs) obsessed with the idea of it and then i sort of lump it in my brain with Mm -hmm. i i I don't what else was coming out that time like it's it the notebook is what we remember from that time or mean girls not that movie anyway
1: Mm -hmm. who would you be
0: i mean i guess i would have to say Mimi. were you not paying attention a second ago
1: oh yeah oh i thought you were i thought
0: you were dragging me Oh, that too. No, I think we're both memes. and I think it's unfortunate. You think
1: we're both memes. You know what? I maybe we. I certainly
0: dressed like Mark once upon a time. I mean, I remember the age of H and M. You know what I'm saying?
1: Baby, I saw you going into um, the gay bar the other day, and I and I like I had a wistful look. I was like, "Louis dresses so well now."
0: Oh, that's true. I mean, like I definitely dress less. um, Like I made the t shirt myself on an app. (laughs)
1: less like it's your first day at hogwarts
0: (laughs) (laughs) i've had a few errors when i moved to la i forgot this it was in january to be fair but it was los angeles so it was still not acceptable i wore a scarf wherever i went if you've ever been in los angeles it is basically impossible to wear a scarf you are hot almost immediately even if it's like in the, the colder part of the evening it's rarely cold enough that you would ever wear a scarf. I also weighed 30 pounds. So it was just a matter of keeping my bones together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like the girl with the red string around her neck, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I, I think I'm going to land on Mark, you know, struggling filmmaker and, you know, um, commiserating with someone else about the person who dumped us.
0: Mm, that is you. I agree.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's me. Um... He also
0: looked a little like Tintin, which I am instinctively into.
1: (laughs) Uh, I also have not congratulated you on making the Logo 30.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, Yeah, this Logo does a little commemorative thing every year where they put a bunch of queer people in a list and say hey, look at these queer people out there being queer. And I ended up being one of them, which I assume means they went through the entire cast of Fire Island already. So, <laughs> in past years. Actually, Conrad Rickamora is on this year's list. So, I'm ranked among, I'm ranked with him. And I have to say, that feels good because I have an insta- insane crush on him at the moment. Uh. Yeah, him, Uh,
1: our friend Terrence is on the list uh, Who goes by
0: Social B on uh, social media Which is, like, he runs parties in New York
1: Yeah, um, no, this means that, like, it's a you're here moment sure yeah and you i just are, want to say that i've been are, here
0: for a fucking long time so to only be here now it's like shelby lynn winning the best new artist grammy when she's like grizzled it in her 70s or whatever she got it. she's like jesus what have i been doing all these years
1: we've just discovered who Louis vertel is
0: did you know he likes the oscars i guess he's been on some game shows that's all you need to know about me actually
1: <laughs> that's still how i describe you sometimes yeah i'm like you know the one on Jeopardy who did the snap and they're like, Oh yeah, I know. I love him. Mm -hmm.
0: It does really communicate my entire entity. I told you one time uh, I was at the, I was, I was working at the Emmys uh, with Kimmel doing a backstage bit with Guillermo. And this is a few years ago now. And I walked out and RuPaul comes up to me, puts his hand on his shoulder, kisses my cheek and goes, I know you. I use that Jeopardy gif all the time. Slay Mama. How about that?
1: I'm shocked that RuPaul knows how to use a GIF.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I want to know the context. (laughs) Who's he sending it to?
1: I imagine RuPaul has green bubbles. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Ru is typing on an Android phone. Also, well, that segues nicely into our topic today
0: because the song Texts Go Green is a highlight off Drake's new album.
1: Yeah, we are actually getting into all of our specific areas today drake beyonce yes jeopardy for you
0: right we'll get to that
1: yeah and um wendy williams
0: that's basically yeah mount rushmore you ever heard of
1: it yeah uh and of course joel kim booster is here from fire island Which is, it's a thrill to talk to him just anyway Because he's our friend, we've
0: known him for a hundred years I used to write with him on Billy on the Street That's where I met Joel Kim Booster. But obviously, Fire Island is the new movie and adaptation of Pride and Prejudice That takes place on the gay vacation aisle And we talked to him about enlisting a couple of his friends to be in the movie Bowen Yang, who's been here before Matt Rogers, who's been here before And get into the specifics of what makes Fire Island so magical And I'm thrilled to hear it because I will be there in a week and a half so, will I? Will you? Are you there for fourth? Yeah. Oh, I, th- th- let, me, let me just say this about Ira. I will just be out in the world. I'm telling you, I could go anywhere. I could fly <laughs> to Burkina Faso. You get <laughs> off the plane, and the person greeting you says, Oh, that's so weird. Ira was just here. Like, it's, it's, it's constantly cat and mouse, Casino Royale, Carmen San Diego shit. <laughs>
1: We are one of those spy movies. We're just we 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 record a podcast together, but we're also hunting each other down, and one of us will win. Mister and Mister Smith, yes. (laughs) All right, we'll be right back with more. Keep it. Check out our brand new line of Pride merch now at the Crooked Store. And as always, a portion of every order from our Pride collection is going to the Cricket Pride or ELSE Fund, which supports three incredible organizations that provide community-building, gender-affirming, and life-saving resources to the queer and transgender community. Shop all cricket merch at cricketcom slash store. I'm going to say that one thing about being in the beehive is actually a bit like a spy versus spy, Mr. and Mr. Smith, as we were just talking about, because she takes so long between her releases now yeah. that you're almost sort of dormant as a beehive member. Like, like you, you've experienced me during Beyonce releases, but that goes away after a bit.
0: Right? No. I mean, cause it could, it could feasibly never happen again too. Right? like, you are you. You never are even aware of where Beyonce's head is at during the dormancy period. She's not active on any social media. Doesn't give interviews. In fact, her interview game is still unmatched in terms of her elusiveness. She feels lightly like witness protected at all times. And uh, but that's what makes a release of hers particularly exciting. Is that she's so intentional with what she does and what she releases that once you hear you're getting music, you're like. What the hell has she been thinking about for the past five years? I guess we're about to find out.
1: She is a bit of the Zodiac killer when it comes to interviews.
0: Right. Uh, though the actual Zodiac killer is, of course, Taylor Swift.
1: That's right. <laughs> uh, but she recently confirmed that her long-awaited seventh album, Renaissance, will drop on July 29th, a day after my birthday. So I'm just deciding it's my birthday gift. and right. um. For the first time in forever, she's doing an album rollout. She did like a Vogue cover, British Vogue, and she dropped a single.
0: When we have to be thankful for these things that every musical artist does except her.
1: So, <laughs> uh, Her single, Break My Soul, which she dropped, by the way, on Tuesday uh, instead of Friday, which if you recall, I believe she was the one who started getting people to release their music on Friday when she dropped her album.
0: Yes, right. I remember that exactly. for The self-titled album.
1: Like It became New Music Friday and, you know, if we want to be the old people on the podcast for a minute, um, music used to come out on Tuesdays. Like, you would go to the record store on a Tuesday.
0: No, me begging my mom to take me to Best Buy to buy Under Rug Swept (laughs) by Alanis Morissette in... (laughs) About February 2002 and pick me up from play practice. I've actually just admitted way too much about myself. I'm going to go <laughs> ahead and slow down.
1: <laughs> um, obviously I'm obsessed with the song, but what do you Get think?
0: Get this! I thought I went in nervous because I had heard, okay, it's going to be a dance record which I was excited about. And then a couple of my friends heard it before I did and two of them were like, it's terrible. Don't even listen to it. And I said, okay, well I'll get to it when there's time, I guess. And I like took my time. I went and got food, came back. I fucking love it. The Robin S single is great. It's so appropriate for fucking pride month. It's, uh, I I like her dabbling in the like early nineties, uh, house sweaty, you know, groove is in the heart is on the radio all the time kind of vibe that crystal waters vibe feels very appropriate for her i love the danceability of it just in general i'm surprised people don't like it do they not like to dance i'm confused
1: yeah i'm surprised too i'm like i but i think the girls need to put down the xanax the girls need to yeah. turn off lana ray like we have been enduring just like years of like sleepy depressed music pop music right and I'm glad that she was like you know what we're gonna dance again and two like I love that she took her time with the 90s revival
0: yeah because there have been some versions of it you know we've gotten um, the Dua Lipa album we've gotten the Lady Gaga album and let me just say if there's one thing I'm excited about regarding the Beyonce album it's that we can put away future nostalgia for 10 fucking minutes I'm sorry we are on our third (laughs) summer of this damn album (laughs) It's not that I don't like it. I always like hearing levitating, which is like up by the twist in terms of biggest songs of all time, apparently. Look at the all-time list of number of uh, Billboard hits. They they keep a running list of just the biggest songs ever, which is very baffling. But first of all, The Weeknd is now number one with Blinding Whites. Two is The Twist. And levitating is like 31, and that seemed crazy to me until I realized I never have stopped hearing levitating.
1: I love that you said Blinding Whites by accident. <laughs> <laughs> because, because, why didn't I get that call <laughs> like we're making a video sweetie <laughs> um, because to a certain set of white people listen to pop music um, they would tell you that like house and disco is like basically what future nostalgia and like the weekend is and I love that this little nostalgic moment with Drake too we'll get into that it's just this is actual house music it's black people reclaiming house music And, like, I love that there's now people on, there's people on Twitter, like, actually sort of discovering that it is a black genre, like, coming, you know, from, like, black and queer DJs in, like, Detroit, Chicago, you know, and it's, um...
0: You would be a fool to think white people came up with that. I'm sorry. Are people lost? <laughs> you know who probably came up with that? Someone who looks like Sherry Lewis. No.
1: <laughs> you got to be like, Gabrielle, you're going to bring it on. I know you don't think a white girl came up with that. <laughs> yes. Uh, but I think that, like, they are so fiercely protective of their music legacies in, like, Detroit and Chicago. And then it's a bit more loose in the rest of the U.S. Mm. You know? Uh New York, New York as well, but you know New York York is like there's room for everyone. Sometimes (laughs) when it comes to nightlife, Uh, but there's so much
0: amazing dance music in the genre of this song that she's evoking on purpose, and I hope people investigate some of it. I'm always bringing up "Hey Mr. DJ" by Jeanne, which is my favorite kind of uh, cookout ready dance song. But there's a ton of other songs like this. Do you know who Eighth Wonder is? Yes which is Patsy Kensett, who I was, used to date one of the Gallagher brothers from Oasis. I think she mm. became a British uh, like big brother celebrity at some point. Anyway, she has a song called I'm Not Scared that always gets me amped for the summer. It's like moody and sexy. Mm-hmm. Uh, There's and great- of course, Robin S. herself is, I mean, that song is eternal. It's like, you know, Finally by Cece Peniston or uh, Groove is in the Heart or what, any, any of those songs.
1: I mean, it is so rude of her to do this to Charlie XCX. Right, which
0: Uh, didn't dawn on me until my eighth listen.
1: I also also wonder, do you think, one, and and we all know that I'm a Charlie XCX stan, Um, do we think that what Beyonce had heard, Charlie XCX's used to know me with samples, Robin S. as well, and do you think that Beyonce knows who Charlie XCX is? I'm going with no and also no. Um, I think, well, it's
0: hard. No, it's not. I'm going to go with no. Uh, By the way, thinking about what Beyonce knows about is just a fun philosophical game in general. Mm -hmm. Um, I already brought up Billy on the street before. One of the things I'm proudest about is a line I wrote for Billy to scream at strangers is, do you think Beyonce has ever said the words unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt out loud? (laughs) Did she tune in? Was she into the antics of Carol Kane? I'm going to say no.
1: I think she's maybe watched some of it, but as it is with some black people when they watch a show, um, you don't use the title. Like sometimes you use the mm. actor's name or you use part of it. I think she's probably said to Jay like, uh, you ever watch that Kimmy girl? <laughs> <laughs> or you want to you watch some of that Kimmy?
0: Right, Do you, like she might know Titus Burgess by name, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, so that's
0: sort of the end. Yeah. She's
1: definitely. Well, so here's the thing, like, so Beyonce, you know, is working with The Dream again. She's going to be working with Raphael Sadiq, Um, she's allegedly like working with Honey Dijon on this album. Mm-hmm. Like, I think she knows producers. She might know Charlie's name only because I'm sure she's heard fancy, and was like, right, who made that, right?
0: Oh, I remember when Fancy had the world in its grip. I remember desperately wanting it to be remixed with the Reba McIntyre Fancy, and then because the internet was the way it was, it occurred.
1: Yeah, Um, she she's had a chokehold. She did have a chokehold on the music industry for quite some time for someone who is still sort of bubbling under.
0: Yes, right. Um, Well, Charlie XCX also has that kind of Ava Max, Jessie J problem where. There's recognizability and talent, but it's not really about, I know what you look like. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you wear a pop outfit and you always have a pop haircut, but then otherwise, question mark for a face.
1: Yeah. Sometimes you have to go really overboard. Like, honestly, Gaga knew what, uh, like, was a historian of pop music, you know? She knew what a pop star looked like. She knew what she was going to make us, you know, like, remember about her. And she did it every fucking day. Until right. it was like emblazoned in your head Like okay Alexander McQueen heels, meat dress You know like like shit like that
0: And even when she emerged When she had the, the hard White yellow bangs and The uh, crystalline looking Leotards It was almost like she was doing a play On a pop star like it wasn't it, I don't want to say it was mocking the idea of a pop star But it was so body And so Uh like a a hyper energized version of something you like a Madonna or whoever preceded her, that it became memorable and also cheeky. And then of course she added the things like the meat dress and all the other iterations that came later
1: itself. You know, the the VMA is like her first like live performance was really just sort of like a commentary on like what the music industry did to pop. Right.
0: Right. No, exactly. Like she emerged as somebody who understood everything about pop. Whereas now it feels like the way pop stars generally dress. And I, I am not including Beyonce in this. It feels like they're just actually doing the performance you see in Vox Lux, which <laughs> <laughs> They're wearing that kind of spangled outfit. They're doing those kinds of half moves. There's half hooks in the music. You know, it all kind of kinda ends up blending together. And they don't stand for anything other than a pre-existing idea of a pop star.
1: And the fashion is boring. Like the fashion yeah. that they wear in their everyday life when they're caught or when they're on the red carpet is boring. The only fashion girl, like, it makes, it's like, it's baffling to me that, like, the only girl that we are constantly talking about on the red carpet is Zendaya.
0: Right. No, also, I think a big problem is we don't know how to nurture great personalities anymore. It's all about... Having your team that knows the moves of pop and you're just repeating those moves that, you know, repeating those footprints that have been stepped in time and time again. And Maybe I'm just a million years old. Yeah. Yeah. Likeability. Right. The worst word. The, the lady trap. Likeability.
1: <laughs> um, but anyway, I, I do like this. There are some people who aren't liking it. But, you know, I'm, I'm excited for this album. I'm excited for the summer it's going to bring.
0: I also think it's a nice about face after I guess the last thing she gave us is Black as King, which I kind of thought she was moving in a more proverb oriented <laughs> direction, shall we say? And for her to just say like, all right, let's actually just move around for a little bit. You know, let's jump into the splits on a pride float in 1991 for a little while.
1: Well, you know, when a recession hits, you know, the music usually gets nasty and the dance floor gets crowded.
0: Wow. Now you're like a historian. I love this uh, CNBC take on... <laughs>
1: <laughs> Gay music Well, as you know, when the recession hits <laughs> The dance floors tend to get crowded And the music, nasty As Janet Jackson proved <laughs> when she released Throb Anyway <laughs>
0: <laughs> Now, it seems like you're excited about this Drake album Which I did listen to And I have to tell you He has a habit of kicking this party into first gear uh, I would love it to get out of the... <laughs> <laughs> <Zen-ax-ery>. <laughs> not the uh, dancery we're in the Zenaxery. uh you don't
1: love the album
0: i just i'm not somebody who is in a club with his head hanging low which mm-hmm. i believe is drake's whole thing
1: mm-hmm. you know what i i would say that the version of the house that he's giving us on the album is a bit more Ketamine bumps and Beyonce Said if the 90s are back Cocaine is back
0: Right. So she's a
1: better historian than he is Is what you're saying well she just wants us to dance And Drake you know is Drake is still trying to fuck you on the dance floor
0: Right but I'm just saying I feel like that's going to be More possible for him if we're all moving Quite a bit and you know In a sexual mood as opposed to You know doing the Jesse Ware sleeping in the Club thing
1: (laughs) You will always find a way to come for Jesse Jesse's album.
2: <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> I, I,
0: I, I, I had no intention of harping on this for years and years, as I have. But she brought it up on a podcast once and said, and she was like, and Lewis said that I was sleeping in the class. And now I'm like hyper amped. I'm like, this makes you notice
1: me, anyway. It's like Nurse Betty. I'm crazed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I. I have never felt more energized than when I saw her live, though, by the way. so No, she's
0: fucking cool. Also, I I was surprised to hear her on a podcast multiple times, which means she has some semblance of a personality. So she's way ahead of the game in
1: most ways. She has a podcast about cooking. Which is so Nana Cherry of her. You know, we we could launch a cooking um, offshoot of um, Keep It, but I'm sure Crooked Media already has six cooking podcasts in development. (laughs)
0: also i can't cook so yeah you do not like i'm going to fire island in a couple weeks and they're we're divvying up dinner duties and they're like all right lewis what day will you take i'm like i am going to be going to the pantry you guys will starve i need to not do this i
1: would never trust you to cook unless there was a rat underneath your hat
0: yeah (laughs) no right there needs to be some magical realism otherwise you're not getting a fucking soup or whatever
1: what are we gonna get ham sandwiches even i i don't i wouldn't even know what bread to get <laughs> um this is the specific thing about drake where it's um he will like discover a genre and uh-huh. uh you know sort of like um vulture it and it's it's um it's shocking actually that you know like this is just like sort of like a a a black american album like is a, a house album so it's like it's digging into these roots and you know it's like one of the first times he's done that instead of trying to huh. be british or some <laughs> grime rapper or what or you know like trying trying to, try to act like he's from the islands um just because he's in love with rihanna right um
0: I remember, I, it's always fresh on my mind that he has that Aaliyah tattoo. I, th- that is both key to me in terms of realizing why he, his potential for cool and also potential to just be a boring guy who's into hot girls, and that's his whole vibe. Anyway. yeah, um, I, I,
1: Having an Aaliyah tattoo is actually maybe one of the like coolest and uncoolest things about him.
0: Right. That's what I
1: mean. Yeah. Um, God, God love Aaliyah's music, by the way. You know who I think
0: should have a house, Era? And maybe people are going to throw fruit at me. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Bruno Mars because he's already dipped into that era with the 24 karat gold whatever that Michel Indigay famously called a pastiche and wondered if it was art at all but anyway oh. I feel like he dances you know well enough that his version of house would be fabulous mm-hmm.
1: okay I try to think of who I would like to see do a house album uh, I will say you know that like besides Reba um <laughs> uh, the black eyed peas
0: that they would have to regenerate they are um as you know um primordial slime well, and they would have to come back up through the sewer to life
1: they have a new song with shakira called don't you worry oh speaking of
0: shakira i assume you watch the J documentary on Netflix. And documentary, time. I am putting in quotes within quotes. It is it not is a documentary. The blowjob of all
1: time. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it is. It is giving um, t- TikToks and Instagram stories that were recorded while she was on the Hustlers press tour. Right. Yes. And okay. Here's the thing.
0: It's actually a pretty fascinating document, just to see what goes into being JLo. Of course, you know it's a ton of work, and um, she is an underrated actress in certain ways. And it gets directly into her not getting the Oscar nomination for Hustlers, a movie that she dominated, that she was definitely the best part of. That it would have been a fine nomination and a fun nomination for the category. Um, she
1: was cinema for a year. Like, yes. I'm sorry, like everyone was talking about JLo. What you liked it or didn't like it, or thought it was under overrated, or underrated, or you were like, her kitten Oscar, like, everyone was talking about JLo that year.
0: To- totally. Um, and instead, we gave it to Kathy Bates for a performance in which she didn't even try. So, it's a strange year. Do you think Kathy uh, Bates
1: remembers being in Richard Jewell? No,
0: please. She, she barely even looked at the check. I don't even think she knows what she got paid for it. Um, <laughs> she was too busy getting 100 texts from ryan murphy a minute she can't pay attention to that um but anyway it gets into what i think is the problem with JLo generally not that she's not a dynamic entertainer we obviously saw her in vegas L- wonderful songs waiting for tonight is eternal her entire persona as she outlines in the prep for the halftime show she's like oh well we gotta have uh, like pop era J-Lo. Then we got to get, I'm still here J-Lo. And then also mom J-Lo. That's not a persona. Not <laughs> her, her, her her whole thing is I wanted to be a star. And now it's, you can't make me not be a star. There has to be a little bit of meaning somewhere in the middle. And I think J-Lo ultimately doesn't really know what she stands for.
1: Mm-hmm. She stands for everything.
0: See, She stands for whatever's nice.
1: Yeah, uh, and you get that in her movies where you know she's always like playing um, a nice sort of white woman,
0: <laughs> a nice sort of white woman starring J Lo with a
1: with a white husband. You know, it's it's every movie. You know, it's um, except <laughs> nice except sort where she, white woman except where she has to be um, where she has to be Latina for the plot right yes 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 yeah, yeah. i
0: haven't watched selena recently i assume that's still like a at least an a-minus
1: performance it's good and i mean listen i thought uh i thought Encante was good uh
0: i also did watch marry me in the past few months and i do have to say i wish i watched anything else
1: yeah marry uh, me is abysmal uh
0: what was the good part is my question what was the thing they wanted me to tune into
1: uh maluma
0: Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh yeah, Maluma getting to be a, just a true bastard was an interesting career choice for him. I like
1: it. I, I like that. I like that for him. Can't
0: act, but no, beautiful. To look Does at. have sunglasses, and, and I believe is like five one,
1: and has presence. Yes. You know, I mean, is the presence that facial Gaze symmetry? Are, is the present that gays are obsessed with him? I don't know. I will say, lastly, on this dra- the Drake and Beyonce ness. Um, Everyone like obviously on like you know like people beat a joke to death now you know and like the whole joke now is like Drake made the album for the gays it's for the faggots and I'm like mm-hmm. all right girl he he made he made some house music and you all think that it's for you uh because you do kind of made while listening to Honey Dijon remixes in a warehouse right <laughs> but Drake Drake wasn't thinking about you for this album
0: I it, to me it's not a gay album at all I mean I I, I say that. Not to say that he doesn't like gay people or whatever, but it doesn't remind me of clubby good times. It's like a play on club music.
1: Mm -hmm. But Beyonce? Oh, this is is for the sisters. Oh, please. No, this song
0: should be belted during Pride Month by a drag queen on the top of a 7-Eleven.
1: I mean. And she just understands the whole assignment because it's not just the robin s sample it's almost a sort of like queen latifah s like rap in the center it reminds me of like my favorite queen latifah house song like come into my house um i don't know it i'm surprised not, i'm surprised to say i don't know such it. such a good song you to listen to mm. it um and the, the, the choir at the end like it's just it's just and and of course big frida Because look, it's not just '90s house revival. It's also bounce music, and that moment at the end where Beyonce is like singing in the bridge. Like, first of all, she also said, "I'm bringing back music with a real music length."
0: Yes, yes, please. Thank you.
1: When it when she's done, and then the beat sort of like falls out for a second, and then picks back up. And big frida is like chanting again i'm like this feels like a song and it feels like an arrival and it feels like i don't know it felt like when formation dropped you know and you felt like okay beyonce's going in a new direction but like i know which direction she's going in
0: i feel like by the time this episode drops the video will be out too which is better be as thrilling because i have to tell you you just brought up formation I am still not over how good a video that is. The it's layers her best that video. she brought, in terms of what she's performing, that she she plays both like the Lady of the Manor in that video, the girl with her hair out the window, just the layer. I mean, it just it reminds me of. I'm sorry to say, like the best of Madonna, you know. Mm-hmm. And I re- I almost never feel that way when I watch music videos. You know, it's usually like Janet did it, Bjork had it, and now I think Beyonce and Lady Gaga are are that level in terms of music video artistry.
1: Yeah, my big my biggest regret is that as much as I feel like the throne is basically ready for Dua and Doja Cat, um, Doja Cat's the more interesting one to me, but God, their videos are so fucking boring.
0: Right. They're just kind of like down the line, like they're pretty good. That Dua Lipa video where she's in like the seafood restaurant, ma'am, I don't know <laughs> who storyboarded this.
1: <laughs> I will say and I like Hitchcock? Doja's yeah. Vegas video.
0: Oh uh, yes, I mean I like her. Uh, I like again, the song and I like it's, her. It's, it's but the like video, Nicki Minaj is just there. The thing about Nicki Minaj, if you're going to be legitimately funny, we have no choice but to sign on. Like okay, actually, funny puts you head and shoulders above other people.
1: Actually, you know what? That's who I want a house album from.
0: There we go. Nicky. I mean, I would look. Yes. I yeah I don't love her albums in general, so this would be great.
1: I think with that layered with also like her just being funny, I think like that would be the album that Drake wanted to make, or could mm. never make actually, to be honest, because he's lost his sort of like sense of humor.
0: Yes, yes, it wasn't giving me um
1: uh, uh ebullience. There's a reason we call them the male Taylor Swift. You know, they like they start they're, they're funny sometimes, but they're also a little bit too self serious to be funny
0: right and it's constantly telegraphing but oh but but i'm in on the joke or but but i'm funny in addition to being serious and it's a hard mix for them taylor yeah. swift
1: generally has that problem anyway anyway when we're back uh joel talks to us about that island we're going to and i'm not talking about dr Moreau. <laughs> oh we should though <laughs> Keep It is brought to you by Hinge. Hinge is the dating app designed to be deleted. If you're really good at it, that is.
0: I've actually met several really good friends through Hinge. I've used it, I can't believe this, over a decade now.
1: Woof! what a life I've had. Well, you know what they've added within a decade of us being on Hinge is their new LGBTQIA plus prompts, which are designed to help queer daters better connect based on similarities, interests, and compatibility. Hinge prompts helps you show off your full personality and connect with someone who appreciates you. Plus, these
0: prompts were created in collaboration with Glad, so they are by the people for the people. Some of the prompts are, the first time I knew I was gay was, mm, I was literally in the act of being gay, like hooking up with somebody when I admitted it. <laughs> Denial is strong and hard
1: in the Catholic Midwest. Mine was Tom Cruise's Vanity Fair cover. The shirtless one. You just turned to an imaginary camera and said, I'm gay. Yeah, I broke the fourth wall. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you're like Fleabag. <laughs> Other prompts include, I feel proudest of who I am when. It feels affirming when others blank. I connect to my community by, I wish I could tell the younger version of myself. i going to say whenever I watch that in a drag race semifinal, when they're like, if I could talk to my younger self, I would say, I would be like, girl, get tighter clothes. I mean, what's going on with <laughs> what you're wearing? You look like you're in the X games. Other prompts <laughs> include, my chosen family is the best at and gender euphoria looks like. Download Hinge and show off your full self using their LGBTQIA plus prompts today. Then find someone worth deleting the app for.
1: Our guest this week is the writer and star of Hulu's Fire Island. And we have never met him before. Uh, He's never been on Keep It before. Um, both of these are lies. Uh, welcome back to Keep It, Joel Kim Booster. Joel, I just remembered you were on our show when we did an episode at Bonnaroo.
2: At Bonnaroo. Absolute chaos.
1: <laughs> Which, I, I think, like, if we put
0: all our demographics together and they're already interrelated, the one place we shouldn't be is Bonnaroo. So congrats yeah. to all of us for being there.
2: <laughs> yeah. It was, um, I believe that night we saw Eminem in concert, uh, which is definitely, you know, a number one bucket list item for all of us.
1: And for Eminem. He was like, oh, please tell me they're there. (laughs) (laughs) Three faggots in the audience. He was very excited.
0: Now, uh, uh, of course, uh, Ira and I both fucking love Fire Island. Uh, uh, Since we know you, we've heard updates about it for years and years. Such a pleasure to finally see it. Obviously, I have hundreds of questions. Even though tons of uh, our, all of our mutual friends are in it, and my first question is regarding that, which is obviously uh, you could have made this movie if you just cast people you had never met before. But how important was it for you to make this movie with friends, and what did it add to have your actual friends in the movie?
2: So you know, from the jump, it was always going to be a movie that was sort of honoring my friendship with Bowen. Like that was first and foremost, sort of the plan like i i set out to write sort of a story about our friendship like so much of the movie is ripped from the headlines of our friendship and that was always like from the very beginning he was attached and that was the only friend that i knew was going to be in the movie and beyond that like it really did come down to people auditioning and like like um, who was best for the role. Because, like, I, I, you know, we know this. I know every gay person in this industry. We right. all do. We know every gay, funny person in this industry. And I would have loved to cast truly all of them. But it was, like, a calculus of, like, who works together and, like, what does this friend group look like and and how what is the texture of the friend group. And so we really, the only other friend that I was able to cast in this movie in sort of the main parts was... Matt Rogers, who, you know, I wrote like sort of a toxic, annoying (laughs) gay person. And and that was always earmarked for Matt. Um, Um, And and it was one of those things where all he had to do was like not fuck up the audition and it was his. And, you know, he he nailed it, of course. So um, that was like, so it was really nice to have the three of them on set, it was like a very grounding presence because obviously it was like there was a lot of pressure going into making this movie, making this movie for gay people, making this movie as like sort of you know one of the one of the you know big gay rom coms that's coming out this year. It was a lot of pressure, and it was just nice to have like two of my best friends on set, just like sort of reminding me that it's it's it should be fun, you know, mm-hmm. it should be fun, and it should be like and um, not like it's not that this a
1: lower or on set with me. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I want to ask about Fire Island and it being, you know, this adaptation is, you know, your brand is being funny. Your brand is also being hot, uh, as you say, in your stand-up special, Psychosexual, which we will get to that as well. Um, but this is an adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. There's also this lovely plot point in the film, you know, where two of the characters sort of bond over like an Alice Monroe book, yeah. you know? So, like is reading part of your brand too? Or like what, what was like the Jane Austen of it all that even got you to want to like adapt it in the first place. And like, what does like literature mean? Like as a part of your whole like culture world.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, reading is a big part of my life. I think like, it's not, it's definitely not like the front and center, like marquee part of my personality that I put out there. Like I haven't figured out a way to make reading an interesting point to bring up in my stand-up, you know, like I think it's, it's not necessarily, like there's not really an outlet for that. Um, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a big reader and it's definitely like a big part of my personality. I, I don't think it's like something that a lot of people know about me unless they like clock me reading a book at Palm Springs or something like that. But, um, Yeah, I mean, I, I, the whole genesis of this movie was me bringing Pride and Prejudice to read on Fire Island, the first trip that we ever took with Bowen, you know, like, that's where the whole thing started. And, like, I wanted to try and infuse this character with, like, complications, because, you know, like, listen, I've, I've read a lot of critiques of the movie that are like, oh, this character is just a stereotype, just a typical, you know frivolous gay guy who wants to have sex uh and do drugs and all of this stuff and i'm always like did they not see the alice mcbrough scene <laughs> like, <they're> not, like, <laughs> yes i'm a stereotype but there's also more dimensions i think beyond like stereotypes exist because in part they they are real you know like gay guys like that exist but i think the problem with stereotypes is when we don't move beyond them like we all three in this in in our little zoom boxes probably all sort of exemplify some version of gay stereotypes to a degree, but we also have dimensions beyond that, that sort of complicate those stereotypes. And that's what I really wanted to do with the movie is complicate the stereotypes a little bit, because like when I hear like, what is a stereotypical gay guy? I do recognize a lot of my friends, but then I also recognize that there are so many other things that make us more interesting beyond those those things. So um, yeah, reading was an important, I wanted to make sure that I honored you know, that part of my personality and, and, and infuse the movie a little bit with that.
1: Do you see other people with books on Fire
2: Island? Uh, yeah, you do see you see a couple people. Like the people that I go with, like, um, we're all hot gay guys who read. Like that is and it's infuriating. <laughs> But it is that is like a big part of I think everybody's trip is, is figuring out like what the be treated, is like who's bringing you know like conversations with friends versus like who's bringing some like you know a non-fiction essay book about gentrification you know it is like it runs the gamut.
0: I just want to say when I hear critiques about gay stereotypes, it's like, you know, there isn't a straight character in any movie that doesn't resemble a stereotype of some kind, right? There's this special stigma reserved for gay people having any recognizably common traits that we're all supposed to be afraid of. It's like, it's 2022. Gay people like having things in common, first of all. And two, when this call comes from inside the house and it's gay people being like, oh, that's just a stereotype, I think what they're not admitting is that there's a certain comfort in not being represented in movies. And then when you finally see it on screen, you want to shrug it off you want to say oh no that's not me at all because you've been sort of luxuriating and feeling unknowable a little bit you know
2: yeah absolutely and i think like it's hard for us to see ourselves represented on screen because we're so used to having to cobble together representation from like 15 different actresses you know like that's what we've (laughs) like we're used to sort of projecting on our own experience onto other, you know, queering, you know, non-queer movies. That has been, you know, how we've navigated the representation game for so, so long. And then to see it sort of like baldly laid out as like, this should be you, this is reflecting your experience. I get why it it sort of like rankles people initially. Like, oh my God, that's not me. And I think it's weird that we're not afforded the same, I don't know, uh, grace as like, you know, when people are like, oh, I see myself in Rooney Mara. Um, even though it's nothing like your experience, it's like, give me the same grace as Rooney Mara. That's, you know, put it on a t-shirt. Um, but.
0: <laughs> Did you know that Rooney Mara was supposed to be the star of Vox Locks? Really? Yes. Which makes sense because the daughter character in it, who like she grows up to be or whatever, looks exactly like Rooney exactly Mara.
2: Exactly Rooney Mara. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Anyway, well, important note. As a
2: Natalie Stan, I'm glad that we live in this timeline. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Now, I want to say also just quickly about the island of Fire Island. There's a lot of things this movie just does journalistically to sell what it is, like the experience of being there that like, I don't think even I would have guessed about had I not finally gone last year, where their favorite parts of the Fire Island experience that you're glad are now committed to celluloid that now people can just reach to and say, oh, that's, that's correct. That happens yeah. at Fire Island.
2: You know what? I think my favorite aspect, because like, the thing is about Fire Island is you're dipping in and out of these like, parties to them, this like incredible natural beauty that is surrounding you like the thing is about fire island is yes it's all gay and yes it's like it, there's the parties and and all of that stuff but it's also like incredibly beautiful to be there like there, there's so many like visually arresting moments and the the number one for me is like going from tea like being all like fucked up at tea and then traipsing on down to the boardwalk or the, the the dock to see the sunset like that is my favorite moment of every fire island trip is watching the sunset from that dock and like getting to have two di- very different versions of that that experience in the movie was so important to me because those are the moments where it's like that dichotomy of, of like oh we were just like surrounded by gay men with their shirts up listening to bad pop music drinking 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 and now we're like sitting watching like one of the most beautiful sunsets you'll ever see like surrounded by your best friends like it is those sorts of moments that really make the island really really special to me Mm.
1: i mean i'm going for the first time for the fourth of july so i'm like looking forward to like finding out you know what's representative versus uh you know what i get to experience myself but i love that of what you were just describing you know i feel like uh one thing i really enjoy about your comedy and just sort of your writing is just sort of like it's very frankness about like just who you are as a person and you know you'll make jokes you know about um sex but you'll make jokes about like doing ketamine and other things like that and i feel like those are moments that um can you know be like oh you know you're talking about a party culture but there can also be moments that lead to You know, a beautiful moment, like still being awake, you know, like to see like the sunrise, you know, like I thought about that recently. I was just in Barcelona for this music festival, you know, and I was there with friends and, you know, we're like, (laughs) we were doing drugs and shit. But then like, it ends with it's like 7am and you get to walk to the beach in barcelona and you're watching the sunrise and it's like i think those are some of the beautiful moments that people miss out when they think that people are just sort of writing about and representing like toxic sort of gay drug culture on film
2: yeah and the thing is too like i always want to like preface my comedy like i'm not trying to sell people on my lifestyle i'm just like i'm not interested in like hiding parts of myself um to like only like sell one part of my life like. I'm not like when I talk about ketamine on stage, it's because I had a funny thought. It's not because I think everyone should be doing ketamine or even there's, I try to like take the judgment of the lifestyle out of it because it's just not like, it's just a part of my life. And so like, if I have a, like every comic gets to talk about their lives in, you know, whatever funny take they have, but for some reason it's like a little more loaded when i do it because it's like oh i'm gay and so now everyone thinks gay people are going to be doing ketamine and it's it's i that's not our problem to fix like if if a straight person watches my act and, and and walks away and things like wow are all gay people vapid party monsters like that's not if 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 all it took was one stand-up set to get a straight person to think that that's not a problem that is a straight, problem. That is a straight Issue to fix, not ours, you know? And that's what gets that's why I'm so frustrated sometimes when I see gay people like feeding into that.
0: Um let's you just brought up audiences in general, which is something I wanted to talk about. It feels like it's a recent phenomenon that a gay comic could go and perform, and most of the time the audience will be filled maybe with queer people, maybe some straight women too, but do you cherish that demographic in particular? Like when you perform, are you grateful to see a room full of gay people? or Are you like, oh, I wish it was more mixed or something. I don't know.
2: It, it depends. So like, it's, it's interesting. I'm in San Diego right now doing shows. And last night, I think because of the movies release, like I'm still at this point in my career. when I go to comedy clubs, like it is maybe 50% of people there to see me and 50% people who are there because they like the club or they just wanted to go out for a fun night. And so like I am often performing for a very, very mixed crowd of people. And, you know, I don't necessarily, I don't really adjust my set for the straight people in the audience, but I will say last night was the first time, um, there was a, it was mostly, I think there were maybe three straight guys. Like we did like a, a, an, a poll because one of my openers was a straight man and he went out and he was doing his, his regular set and he was, and it, it wasn't necessarily working because the audience was of like 200 people. There were only three straight men in the audience. And it was so interesting because <laughs> he came back backstage and he was like, I've never felt so nervous and so scared doing stand up in years and years and years. And I was like, you realize that is how I feel every time I go up to a predominantly straight audience, like trying to figure out like, if my references are gonna hit, like if I should, what I should adjust and how I should like deal with that. And it's like, it's so, it was so interesting to me to see a straight person experience that for the very first time. I will say, and this is something that Guy Branham has said a lot. And I do think it's changing with our generation, but like when I perform on say like a gay cruise, to mostly older gay men who are sort of, you know, Gen X and above, it is a little difficult because I do find that gay Mm -hmm. men are much more judgmental of other gay men than they are of maybe a a female comedian. You know, Mm -hmm. like Guy Branum said it, um, you know, like most gay men, like unless they can completely sexualize you and are watching you as like a go-go boy or a stripper or completely desexualize you as like a drag queen they don't know how to interact with gay men while they're watching them on stage, you know, and, and, and even in movies. And I think that's part of what we're seeing, like from um, the reaction to Fire Island too, is that there's a certain level of like, not, we are not used, we do not have the training because we we're just now seeing representation. We don't know how to, how to interact with ourselves on screen or rep, or as representatives. So when like I do a gay cruise, it's so funny because like they want Kathy Griffin, they don't want me. You know, and so I I sometimes get more nervous in front of gay audiences than I do in front of straight audiences.
0: I have to mm-hmm. tell you, I'm not curious to see Kathy Griffin on Katamine. I love the woman to death. I just think that would be bad news <laughs> for a lot of us. <laughs> Couldn't love her more. Honestly, uh, I just think it that, means danger.
1: That's what she was on when she did the Trump photo. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, That's yeah. right. <laughs> um, well, I mean, well, speaking of representation and like straight people and audiences, <laughs> one bit that you have in your, um, Netflix special psychosexual is, you know, as you point out this straight white guy bed, uh, and like get his reactions um, during your show and I want to also ask about um, you mentioned that you know like you're a person who like reads the comments a lot and you know I assume you still did that with Fire Island you know like um, how do you sort of get in your mind you know when you're working on something or just maybe once it comes out you know you're thinking about like I'm thinking about how gay people are going to be responding to this and then also the idea like I'm thinking about how like Asian people are going to respond to this, you know, um, particularly I love um, in your vulture interview, you know, you talk about, you know, like how you didn't need like a medal for casting, like an Asian love interest, but Uh you know, like, with the film, and then, like, you know, with your jokes, you know, about your very lovely boyfriend, who we love, you know, he's fantastic, you know, but, like, are you in your mind thinking about, you know, like, I'm making these jokes, you know, about, like, whiteness and representation and culture, and, like, people are still gonna, like, point out, like, but he has a white boyfriend, or if Conrad hadn't been cast in the film, they'd be pointing out, like, okay, but the love interest is white, like, is that something you're thinking about constantly?
2: Yeah, I mean, mean, I'm definitely thinking about it a lot and I I, this is the thing is that like I really do appreciate engaging with criticism in my work you know like I think a large part of the special is response to criticism that I've received from all corners of you know, identity, like from Asian people, from gay people, from straight people, you know? Like, it's interesting for for me to engage with the good faith critiques, I think, of my work. There's definitely tons of bad faith critiques that I think ascribe like negative intention to me as a person that it's easy to dismiss that. But I am definitely like, I'm constantly thinking about the ways in which I'm perceived as a comedian to try and like not stay ahead of it, but just also like, it's, it's, I think it's useful to know like how people are absorbing your work and like how you're being perceived. But I will say there is like a fine line and it can drive you a little crazy. Like Andrew on the set of the movie, I would like spin out constantly about like, Oh, how is this going to be perceived? How, how is this going to be taken? And he would just like, sort of like put his hand on my shoulder and be like, Joel, you cannot write this movie for Twitter. You can't do it. You like, if you like, it's a, it's a, it's a losing game. Um, to try and stay ahead of whatever the discourse is going to be on Twitter, a very small subsection of the people that are actually going to watch this movie. Um, And you just have to try and tell like an honest story. And so it is like a fine line. Oftentimes I I I do find like, especially with regard to the special, like it is my special, this hour special is like a direct response to commentary around my work previous to this because I it's and, and frustrations around like the representation conversation in general, like it is so frustrating for me that I cannot just tell a joke in a vacuum and like have it be judged on the merits of whether or not it makes this person laugh or not, which is like what most straight white guys get to go out there and make their jokes. And the only metric it's judged on is if people laugh or not. Like for me, though, it's like, am I representing Asian people? Am I representing gay people? Well, you know, and it's so frustrating and it's like such a double-edged sword because i get people come up to me all the time and they're like oh thank you for representing our community thank you for being a representative and it's like it makes me so stressed out because i'm like that's not what i want to do necessarily like i wish there were dozens of me out there so that like i was just one other face in a, a sea of gay asian comedians so that you know it it, it's not like on me to try and be the best representative that i can be for this community and i'm lucky that there are more and more and more of us coming up right now like i can name a bunch of them like there's like so many like just tom is somebody that comes to mind who i think is an amazing comedian who's also doing a lot of the similar work obviously bowen is in the same space as i am but it's like i just wish that like it's the scarcity politics of it because i think the mainstream like industry is like sort of presenting me as the answer for like oh you you said you weren't represented enough well here's Jolkin booster and it's like no there has to be more than one of me like if if i'm being pushed in front of people like of course there's going to be resentment from certain like corners of the asian community or the gay community who don't see themselves represented in my work like and again it's it's not like my problem and it's not even necessarily like gay people or asian people's problems it's the it's the mainstream like hollywood narrative like saying that that is the problem
0: now speaking of that kind of stress it feels to me like at this particular juncture you're poised to i don't know about do what you want but do one of a number of things like i'm sure people want you to make a sequel to this or uh follow it up with something similar or you can probably act in what you want to do or you know there's any number of options and i was wondering is that exciting or just a new version of stress? Having to navigate oh. where you quote unquote belong after this.
2: Yeah, it, it is, it's, it's my bad brain. Like, is full of anxiety now. I think it's. I, like. I wish I could just enjoy this moment a little bit more. But like, previous to the movie coming out, and I was like, oh my god, everyone's gonna hate this. No one's gonna like this. No one's gonna like this. And now that it's come out, and the reception has been mostly positive all I can think of is like, well, whatever you do next is going to be shit. It will never amount to the same Like it'll never be as good as like what, what fire Island or whatever you've just done. And so I'm trying to just like take a step back and like really assess like what I actually want to do next. And like what I actually want to write next. I think like, I a sequel is such a funny idea to me and it's exciting, but it's also like, I don't necessarily want to be known as the gay destination vacation writer for the rest of my career. Um, (laughs) I would (laughs) like to maybe (laughs) pivot into something else. Um, So I'm just trying to figure out like what even the options are, because this is the thing, like, I've been here before. Like, I think right right around the same time I was on the show last time, I was like poised to be on an NBC Mm. sitcom and people were like, this is it. This is going to (laughs) change your life. And then that show flopped hard and, you know, nothing really changed. And so I'm very weary of being like, yeah, like when people say like, this is it. This is going to change everything for you. I'm sort of like, I'm going to like, sort of wait and see and I'll believe it when I see it. Sort of vibe.
0: Let me just say about Destination... Uh, cinema though, if you merged with the best exotic marigold franchise,
2: <laughs> I feel like
0: everybody wins. You and Maggie, yeah. you know, long stairs, sideways stairs. It speaks to me.
2: That's
1: exactly where I need to go. Um, you know what? Just do, I do want to see a gay cruise something though, because you made Fire mm, Island look amazing. You made <laughs> Fire Island look beautiful, and I can't wait to go. But I am iffy on cruises, gay or not. And I feel like maybe oh, you could change my mind.
2: I'm definitely gonna do um, like the gay remake of murder on a Nile. But okay. Atlanta yes. cruise. Yes. You know, like that's that's the that's the next move is because I, I have actually always wanted to solve a murder on a cruise. Um, like just in my personal life. And so I think like um, you know, I, that's definitely, I think, the next move for me is murder on an Atlantis cruise, for sure.
0: Also, because then you could have Soky, Sophie Okonedo's character in Death on the Nile be the entertainment on the gay cruise. Yeah. Like, she would still be that
1: person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you could get Gal Gadot to say something like, I don't know if there's enough poppers. To <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> which that would that would just be true. It would just be true. Yeah.
2: It would actually be true. I will say, like, the, the, the gay cruises, the, the wildest. Pe- they get the wildest people to perform. Like every time I've gone, it's like, yeah, the entertainment this week is Leanne Rhymes, and it's like, how the fuck did you get Leanne Rhymes to come on this gay cruise? And then you see like a stadium full of gay men chanting Leanne's name, and you're like, oh, this is how you get Leanne Rhymes. Right. Like this is like. <laughs> Like I, I was the first cruise I ever did. Vanessa Williams came on and I was like, how did they get Vanessa Williams to do a gay cruise? And then she comes out for her performance and she's like, I'm not doing any covers tonight. I'm only doing originals. And I was like, well, this is how, this is how you get Vanessa Williams to do the gay cruise. It's the only place where you could fill a stadium full of people to listen to her original songs."
0: <laughs> wow. You got a lot of moody prog rock or something from Vanessa yeah. Williams. That's too bad.
2: Yeah. <laughs> You're like, no Uh, colors of the wind? Seriously? Okay.
1: All right. I get it. Gay cruises are the soap dish mall scene for all (laughs) (laughs) female performers. Good sell. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here, Joel. And congrats on Fire Island.
2: I appreciate that. I will see you both on Fire Island.
0: And also, probably just everywhere else. I have bad news for you. Yeah. uh, Unfortunately. Yeah.
1: The Wendy Williams show recently came to an end after a 13-year run, but the host herself was not a part of the final episode. And, Lewis, how you doing? Because I'm not doing great. <laughs> I mean,
0: that does make me really sad. It gives me the vibes of Angela Lansbury not being at the Tonys. I want to know more. You know, obviously she has Graves' disease, has had it for a couple years, has been out of the spotlight. And Wendy Williams loves broadcasting herself in any form possible so that
1: is very suspicious <laughs> um yeah it's i feel like you know like you know more about you know like talk show and sort of like uh history um etc you know it, this is so unusual so like yes. for the show want but- one even keep going uh and then for it to just end without her there
0: Yes, and with the first guest on the Wendy Williams show, who was Vanessa Williams. Mm-hmm. Um, very puzzling. I would just want to say about her in general, she's routinely compared to somebody like Howard Stern because she came from radio and is, you know, meant to be shocking. But what she really is is a devious Rosie O'Donnell because her whole thing is obsessiveness about celebrity, knowing everything, mm-hmm. and immediately like like going live to camera to say what she thinks about the celebrity thing talking to other like-minded people, which I thought was one of the great thrills of the Rosie O'Donnell show. It, was, it felt sort of conspiratorial with you know a tabloid-loving audience. And mm-hmm. uh, there are times on that show when she would just break down whatever issue, and it would be so thrilling to hear her talk about Beyonce and Jay-Z's What's Coming to Mind. And obviously, she had some wild statements over the years. <laughs> of, uh, bizarre statements. I, what's coming to mind is when she said that, I think... Terry Cruz being groped was not actual groping, like she would just come to wild conclusions <laughs> about seemingly cut and dry situations um but my God, when she was on, she was on, and
1: when she was off, she was uh downright enigmatic. yeah, I will say that uh, I agree with like not lumping her in with like a Howard start only because there's a thing about like male sort of like interviewers uh where they haven't had to be sort of um, very knowledgeable, um, you know, to put it lightly. You know, like right. it reminds me of sort of like Larry King, like famously just interviewing people and not <laughs> doing a lick of research, you know? Larry King, I, I, think, we're,
0: I think history will remember him as, I don't want to say a fraud, but I think it might <laughs> remember him as someone we shouldn't have given so much kind of prestige cable time slot time to a
1: scamstress if you yeah, will scamstress yeah you know i think i think it was the suspenders on those glasses and definitely the hair right
0: yes we just believed it for some reason even though he would have whatever kathy griffin on and just go to sleep for 25 <laughs> minutes while she
1: ranted about <laughs> nicole kippen <laughs> um Another sort of person who I think is in line with Wendy, just because, you know, Wendy and Gathy, you know, share that sort of um, that sort of like oratory skill of, you know, you give them one topic and if you left the room and came back, like, you went to the grocery store to get cigarettes and liquor uh, and, like, cups and, like, ice for the party and came back, she would still be on that same topic telling that story (laughs) and people would be enraptured.
0: Right. No, I love when they would cut to the audience on Wendy Williams and people are truly, like, tugging at their collars like the white guy in the Baby Got Back video.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um... She could truly just like come out, sit down. For, my favorite thing is how, like, sh- her version of the monologue was she'd come out, she'd talk about something. She'd just, what, like sit with the audience talking for like 15 minutes uninterrupted?
0: Right. It, and it didn't seem really planned either. Actually, that's sort of like Kathy Griffin. Kathy Griffin, when she would do stand up for a long time, would pick bullet points and then just talk through them. And maybe she had a, a pre planned joke here or there, but really it was about whatever comes to mind will come to mind and I'm going to let it kind of unspool in front of everybody. And that was Wendy's tactic too.
1: And the thing is she, like I I talked about this on the for colored nerds podcast too, but it was like, the thing is that she had like a, she had respect of like people in the industry, you know, like, like she, obviously you have to, to be able to have all this gossip, you know, for people to be telling you things, you know, it's like, I think about um, Hollywood life, right? Like when, when they were like, the queen is dead, If Wendy Williams told us the Queen is dead on her show, like, I'm believing it. (laughs) Right. Because she knows. I would fully believe that she has a line at Buckingham.
0: I just want everybody to know that my first job in L.A. was a different version of Hollywood life, which I guess still exists with, what's that woman's name, Bonnie Fuller at the helm. Man, when I go
1: back and look at that site, what... i mean what it's i meant hollywood unlocked i meant hollywood unlocked but yes hollywood life and those the the era of like the hollywood life and pop sugar right
0: pop sugar i felt like at least keeps they're just like plugging along they're (laughs) it's on the rails anyway um but what's weird about pop sugar it's founded by somebody whose last name is sugar isn't that fucking insane Oh. It's like the Smart and Final chain out here in L.A., which is a grocery store, is founded by two people whose last names are Smart and Final.
1: I did not know that. It's really bone-shilling. Smart versus Final. I want to see that. Smart v. Final. Where's that film? <laughs> Dustin Hoffman, Meryl Streep, Smart v. Final. Uh, um, I guess I will be forever grateful that, you know, I was part of the Wendy Williams legacy. Oh, yeah, I you are on, on the show. show. Uh, I went on the show, um, and I was talking. I was DMing with uh, our friend Michelle Collins because uh, she, like, she was like, "Oh, you had inspired me to like post my hot topics like um, panel too. and she talked about you know how like just how supportive Wendy was to her, you know, especially when she was going through her stuff on the View, um, and you know, when, she was so sweet. And like, I discovered that the photo I had taken with her, the selfie, was alive. Um, photo and in it is where she had told me like um as we're both posing she like leans back and says you're coming back you know like the Uh. fact that like she enjoyed me on the show and wanted me to come back like that that means a lot to me and i was talking to michelle just about the fact that like basically the the pandemic happened like two months like a month after i was on and so i wasn't able to come back but like we were robbed of the chance of being on the show together I would oh, love to really be on Wendy upset. Williams with Michelle Collins. Oh my god.
0: Also Michelle Collins really is in in line with Wendy Williams in terms of like listen, I know everything and you may as well
1: just listen to me because I'm not going to shut up about it. You know, listen, I mean like
0: she just yeah.
1: We have never we there's like sometimes when you have like a celebrity guest too and they've been like uh um like a guest or they've been like um a guest co-host it's like there's always that balance of like you know like matching our energy and you know like not like not like doing too little but not doing the most but like when michelle was just talking i'm just like girl keep talking i want to know more
0: right please no, I, I, I go into lizard brain. I just accept everything she says. And I'm like, yes, more of that, please. By the way, she was fucking amazing on The View. I know I've said that before. She was. Um, but, anyway, but that I, was I, an I, era somewhat... I watched. God, no, she was so fucking funny. I remember one. I, I, I'm sure I've said this before. Somebody on the show said, um, I don't like going to museums. Like, I, I just want to leave and go get a slice of pizza. And Michelle, without skipping a beat, deadpan to her face, goes, you're a monster. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's, oh, but, but, that's I was excited.
0: the that Barnard is, bitch and Michelle
1: Collins. Yeah. That is also what I feel like the view is missing. By the way, like, no one on the panel yeah. is really funny at the moment. Whoopi sort of is, you know. whoop like yeah, Whoopi who, who, is Whoopi's mostly s-
0: just exasperated.
1: She, she's exasperated now. She's she's tired of this. Sh- she's too old for this shit. Yeah, the view right. is her lethal weapon, and she's Danny Glover. <laughs>
0: <laughs> her good friend. <laughs> um, uh, but I, I want to sum up Wendy Williams by saying, I guess my perspective on her is. Um, in line with her whole Whitney Houston sort of obsession, which is she reported generally accurately on Whitney Houston, but also it was extremely dicey. And she also would beg Whitney Houston to come on her show, which she eventually did. And it was the most uncomfortable yet, like, compulsively listenable conversation of all time i so still there's so listen so much to that wrapped into the ball of fury that is wendy williams there's no second one of her
1: i still listen to that all the fucking time and i'm like truly we, we always go back to like you know the um the diane sawyer whitney interview right you know you know like crack it's wet crack it's cheap you know like that interview but more people need to be on the Wendy Williams one where she says she will come down to the studio and, and what Wendy's ass.
0: <laughs> and by the way, I've never believed a human being more. Okay. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and then they, I think they, 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 mended the fences sort of later too. You know, I think Whitney sort of recognized that like Wendy was reporting accurately, you know? Hmm. And then, I mean, I mean, of course she was reporting accurately. But, yeah. Uh, that was our Frost Nixon, by the way. Whitney and Wendy. <laughs> the real Frost Nixon? Yeah. The real Frost Nixon. Uh, fuck Frost Nixon. What the fuck did Frost Nixon even do? No. I guess uh, it revealed that, Watergate. <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Uh, it, it gave
0: Frank Langella a platform and he has since been um, deplatformed via <laughs> me too. So whatever.
1: Who plays Whitney and who plays Wendy in the Frost Nixon um, like like depiction of their interview?
0: Okay, so Whitney would have to be like 37 or something. So we're uh-huh. we're saying if it's like
1: filmed today. Yeah. Oh well, you know, who's playing her in the upcoming Whitney biopic? Oh, right. i I forget that actress's name. Um is Naomi Aki. And you know what? If she's good in it, like maybe her. Okay. And then who else like is is
0: is for Whitney, but that would be to play Whitney Houston yeah and then wendy williams god who who can do that kind of rowdy unmatched energy i'm trying to think of who that would be i know i'm like kiki i don't hate it but i mean it would take a couple of years
1: yeah yeah i mean Mm a naomi's like young giving you like 80s whitney anyway so like yeah yeah give us like give us like 10 years and then um i'd be there Okay, okay, very good. Uh, Well, Sierra Payton played her on Lifetime, but uh, the less said about that Lifetime movie, the better.
0: Yes, was it even technically a movie? I am (laughs) inclined to disagree.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um... I don't, I don't, I can't think of like people who would sort of be like a successor to her, you know? I'm like, I'm like Sherry, Sherry Shepard, shout out to her getting like her new show, but like that's not going to be a Wendy Williams esque show, you know? And I feel like
0: a a part of me is a little bit sad about that, not because Sherry Shepard is incapable of hosting a talk show. Obviously, she's from The View and has hosted a number of things, but like she was funny too. And she is funny And, and like, I think probably knowledgeable, but she's just not spicy. Like her, she, she's just a consummate host, as opposed to a consummate gossip.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you remember the time like she was mad at Doctor Oz because like Doctor Oz like had brought up like um, you know, like the the custody stuff like going on in her family. Um, and I'm just like, sort of like s- someone like someone like a Wendy would have like would have like fought back with Doctor Oz on the show, you know? Like, you need to spot you need to be afraid of them as well,
0: right? Yes, yes, definitely, definitely.
1: I'm afraid of Angie Jordan, but not Sherry
0: Shepard. Certainly. <laughs> Ham. <laughs> of all the 30 Rock quotes, I want to say that comes up the most ultimately. so
1: you- I would say the one that comes up the most, thanks to um, the toxic internet meme culture, is Lemon, it's Wednesday.
0: Yes, oh my God, which that's so the, like, Garfield Mondays of of memory <laughs>
1: from 30 rock. Disrespect. Anyway, uh, when well, we're back, keep it. We're back with our favorite segment of the episode. As always, it's Keep It. Lewis, what's yours? Well, I'm doing my worst this
0: week because I've ignored most of the regular pop culture that listeners to this podcast likely enjoy. And I've gone with Jeopardy, which I think happens about once every two months. I I think think it's a good Jeopardy keep it.
1: At some point, we're going to have to rank like Lewis's top Jeopardy keep it. You've got like 20. Well, I just
0: want to say they've had a couple of years that have been extremely wild so i've had no choice but to report on it journalistically edward r Murrow style okay this week this week there was a final jeopardy where a contestant who was otherwise killing it this woman named sadie mm-hmm. in the middle podium uh the answer was, usually they, do kill it you think so sadie's yeah. you know
1: it's, it's a good sadie name.
0: hawkins they're gonna ask you to the dance don't <laughs> you don't have to ask her um Uh, It was a question about uh, Frederick Douglass talking to somebody else and via the clues in the in the final Jeopardy answer. It was apparent it was Harriet Tubman. Okay, well, she wrote down Harriet Tubman, seemingly getting to it at the last minute. And we'll show this on the Snapchat, hopefully. But the way she wrote Harriet Tubman, the first word Harriet, that's pretty apparent. The T is crossed. And then in the final word, it says T-U-B-M-A. And then the tail on the A sort of lingers and turns into a hump, which I would argue makes it an N and makes the entire words legible. Harriet Tubman. You can pronounce all the syllables, which is the requirement for a legitimate Jeopardy response. And they declared it an incomplete response, penalized her, and she ended up in third as opposed to winning Jeopardy, which she would have. And I just want to say they better second-chance Sadie. I need to see her back on that show, which which happens occasionally. They bring back contestants who, because of a technicality or something going wrong in the show, uh, they end up bringing somebody back uh, you know, due to questionable calls, et cetera. But anyway, Ira, I have sent you the picture of this
1: uh, writing of Harriet Tubman. Do you think... Do you agree with the judges or do you agree with me? Well, first of all, I do not want to see Second Chance Sadie, which sounds like a Malin Ackerman (laughs) and Ashton Kutcher film from 2004.
0: (laughs) Exactly Malin Ackerman. Yes.
1: And I thought about her recently because two people were watching Malin Ackerman films like on the plane yesterday. And I was like, how is it possible she's been in two films?
0: Wait, different ones? Was one of them Rock of Ages?
1: Yes. Okay. Wow! I can't believe I pulled that. Anyway, <laughs> um, this does not say ha- who was Harriet Tubman, bitch. This is like who is Harriet <laughs> Tullness? Harriet <laughs> Tubness? Maybe she's asking who's Harriet Tubness. Does anybody know? Okay, I uh, you you think Harriet Tubman would look at this and be like, "That's my name." <laughs> Okay.
0: Picture I'm watching Jeopardy and being like, that's not me. Okay. I know, I, I know, I know you meant to bring me up, but that's not okay.
1: Me. I know you think I write like this because you think can, see, slaves can't read, right? But bitch, <laughs> I have good penmanship. Honey, honey, honey. I've seen a
0: book. <laughs> honey, uh, Uncle Tom's Cabin just came out and I read it. Okay.
1: <laughs> this is so disgraceful. This is giving like doctor's signature. Right.
0: And by the way, it, it it's just like having been on the show I can say it's like what when you're signing uh like the the credit card thing at Target, that kind mm. of pen. So picture the amount of times you've written in that little blank and it's yeah. seen legible. It's it's just not the ideal pen for writing legibly.
1: Even the w in her who is shaky though. Like she she looks terrified. She's giving woman in the window. <laughs> She Is giving oh. Ellen Burstyn in Rec Room for a Dream okay? Her <laughs> hand is shaking as she wrote who and then crossing out the H like twice. <laughs> Sadie was going through it. <laughs> There's a whole
0: <laughs> psychological arc in her who is Harriet Tubman.
1: Uh, yeah, I'm not giving it to her.
0: You're not, you're not. Okay, so you guys should fight with us about this. Look up the image itself and tell me if you think sadie deserved the win ira what is your keep it this week
1: uh my keep it goes to conservatives republicans the right oh brave this week yes. uh, <laughs> uh it involves the film Lightyear, which i have to say
0: as i'm a toy story stan i still am not excited for
1: yes so here is the thing okay Conservatives are bad because there is a lesbian kiss. You know the dykes are getting feisty in Lightyear and making out. Um, mm. As it turns out, you know the plot of the film is that you know this is the movie um, that Buzz, the Buzz Lightyear toy, was made from and that's what Andy got in the first Toy Story which is very weird because the movie opens up with this title card w- was like in 1995 Andy got a Buzz Lightyear toy from his favorite movie this is that movie and I'm trying to think of this movie being made in 1995 I don't yeah think it's so. not
0: reminding me of that era it's where's where's not reminding me of that era yeah where's a young Kate Winslet <laughs> where yeah is Mayor Winningham is she there
1: um but Annabella Shiora? The film involves him going back and forth from this planet trying to break like the um, you know, like the speed barrier. And he like keeps passing through time, and you keep seeing these like little like m- moments in time from like his best friend, uh, and fellow Space Ranger who's on the planet, who meets uh a woman, you know, they get married, they have a kid, um, that kid graduates on their 40th anniversary, and then that kid has a daughter. During really one of the 30 seconds, not even 30 seconds, 10 second segment, you see a peck. Okay. If you were not looking for it, you would miss it. My friend Drew was sitting right next to me, didn't even see the kiss.
0: And it so, reminds me of when it m- reminds me of when Modern Family finally had a kiss and it was in the background while something else was going on and you could see it but you basically have to be told to look for it.
1: Right. And that's my main problem with this entire situation. One, Disney you know even sort of like promoting this kiss in the first place because it's it's more crumbs from them, like the Beauty mm-hmm. and the Beast kiss, you know, like um that insane um uh, moment in um Avengers, where someone's like talking about losing their partner, and they're like, this is the first gay representation in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, 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 I feel like the kiss in Eternals was an actual kiss. So I, I will I will shout out Eternals uh, for doing that. It's the only thing I'll shout out Eternals for. Um, <laughs> but I would say that one, on the Disney side, this is just like, it's useless to promote this. And then on the side of Republicans, you know how, like, they love a culture war that's really right. just, well, you know, a The mass- only wars they have, really. <laughs> a mass for me. Oh,
0: actually, the other ones, too. Never mind.
1: <laughs> well, we share that. Yeah. <laughs> we, lo- we love a good war, too.
0: <laughs> uh, that's true. No, that, yeah, you're right. Yeah. All hands on deck.
1: Okay. Call me a neoliberal, because I love a war. <laughs> war. What is it good All for? Right. Bringing the country Fun. together. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, winning elections um, no so you've got people like Ted Cruz and shit you know uh, going after this movie you've got people who are probably bots on Twitter just being like I went to see this movie with my family and when I saw that kiss I walked out and so did other people I'm like so you know a boycott doesn't involve going to a film to see the point in the movie that you want to object to, and then walking out of it, right? Like, like Disney already has your money.
0: Yeah, right. If you're in the theater, you've paid for it.
1: Yeah, uh, and if you're doing it in some sort of protest, like you know that, like Disney, the, like the Disney execs can't see you walking out, right? It's not theater. <laughs> <laughs> they're
0: it's they're on the s- other side of the screen. <laughs> <laughs> it's like purple. It's like purple rose of Cairo. They're looking right at you. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um. And then because the movie didn't big slay at the box office, you know, now they're tweeting hashtag go woke, go broke. Okay, Uh, that is sad. I (laughs) hate when they go with (laughs) wordplay. It's not not the witty side of the aisle. You know what I mean? It is a shitty slogan. And it also goes back to your point that even Toy Story stands don't care about this movie. I went to see it because of the controversy and like I wanted to talk about it on the show and I was just like whatever like it's a cute way to spend like a Saturday afternoon but I still haven't seen Toy Story 4.
0: I saw it on a plane
1: and I was happy
0: for the um, Bo Peep representation since she was you know unceremoniously dropped from the third one. But it was it, it was a lot of running around. I don't know it, it, it felt like maybe a video game of Toy Story as opposed to like Toy Story canon. Because among like huge franchises, Toy Story is like the Yale of like blockbuster franchises. Like who who has a record like that? The one, the two, and three. Like it beats even like Back to the Future or something like that. You know, it might be up there with Lord of the Rings.
1: The first three movies are iconic and they're 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 like critically lauded, audiences love them, and like yeah, I never got around to seeing four. And I did just happen to see this film, but it's not like you know this was um, Avengers End Game, you know, like it's not mm-hmm. like they 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 picked a film that probably was tracking poorly and wasn't gonna make a shit ton of money in the first place. So like, mm-hmm. congrats, I guess you won, but what's but I don't care about this victory against um a conglomerate like Disney. Mm.
0: Yes, yeah. It, it, it's just, they're making up a reason to have a problem. It's their whole reason for being. They don't want to make anything better. They just want to make somebody feel worse for enjoying something. Anyway. Right.
1: It's just, it's annoying homophobia, just like this whole, like, fixation on drag queens at brunch right now, you know? It's just very much like, we have to hate people for some reason. And it it's wrapped up in their, like, hatred of Dizzy for Dizzy like, opposing, like, the don't say gay bill in Florida. But it's also just, like, it's 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 also the the fake anger over tim allen allegedly being like ousted from this franchise um and like disney turning its back on him even though tim allen is doing a santa claus series for disney
0: Right. If anybody is concerned about the money of Tim Allen, I need you to join Earth because that man is always working. We gave him that whole Last Man Standing series, which I believe jumped to 10 different networks and like killed on all of them. So
1: I will say, once again, one of the only good things that Tim Allen gave us through Home Improvement was having his co star, Patricia Richardson, uh, become famous and then giving us her son, Joseph Castle Baker
0: right (laughs) it was all predestined via tim allen
1: yeah do you know that patricia richardson is also betty gilpin's godmother
0: no what yes we know betty gilpin a little bit and she's keeping her royal lineage away from us yeah i just
1: remember patricia richardson
0: being on that weird show strong medicine for a while on lifetime
1: you know i never watched strong medicine but i did watch army wives
0: I think Army Wise is a little bit after that, but yes, I mean, that is uh, the the prime generation of Lifetime after when they, after they produced things like Intimate Portrait for years and years. And I watched every single one of those fucking episodes.
1: I do want to point out that when I say I watched Army Wise, I only watched the Ashanti season.
0: <laughs> which is, which is like the Shelley Long on Cheers. I understand. That
1: era, yeah. uh, all right. That's our show this week so thanks to Joel for being here uh, and we will see you next week Keep It is a Crooked Media production our senior producer is Kendra James our producer is Chris Lord our executive producers are Ira Madison III and Louis Fertel our editor is Charlotte Landis and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer Thank you to our digital team, Matt DeGroote, Nar
0: Malconian, and Delan Villanueva for production support every week.
1: In order to support our show, we need the help of some great advertisers. And we want to make sure that those advertisers are ones you'll actually want to hear about. But we need to learn a little bit more about you in order to make that impossible. So, Go to PodSurvey.com slash keep it and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you better. That's PodSurvey.com slash K-E-E-P dash I-T. That way we can bring on advertisers that you won't want to skip. But imagine skipping listening to me and Lewis's lovely voices talk about things that we want you to buy. Once you've completed the quick survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Terms and conditions apply. Again, that's podsurvey.com slash K-E-E-P dash I-T. And thanks again for your help.